Episode 5, question 1. In this, there is a 65-year-old woman. She's having back pain and uh, primarily in the lumbar and the thoracic regions. And she it is really little bit relieved with acetaminophen. And she has limited activity. She's not able to go to her yoga classes. There was a history of hypertension, type 2 diabetes, mellitus and osteopenias. Also, she's taking over-the-counter calcium and vitamin D supplementations. So, that means this clarifies that the patient might not have the osteoporosis because she already is taking such medications. And uh, also, there is no point tenderness. She is normal. Like, her temperature is normal. Her blood pressure is a little bit increased. And her pulse is uh, normal again. And she is, but she is thin. Okay. And mucous membrane is moist. There is no lymphadenopathy as such. No cervical and supraclavicular lymph nodes are not palpable. Cardiopulmonary and abdominal examination is also normal. There is no focal tenderness over the spine. Muscle strength is normal. So what is the defect? So when we see hemoglobin is 10.2, platelet is 2.2 lakhs and leukocyte is 9000. Sodium is normal. Potassium is normal. Chloride is normal. But bicarbonate is 26, which is again normal. Blood urine nitrogen is increased and creatinine is also increased. Calcium level is little bit increase and uh, glucose is also a little bit higher okay urine dipstick test is negative urinary sediment is uh, bland except there is few granular casts in there okay so which of the following is most likely cause of this patient's conditions so answer for this questions will be multiple myeloma is a plasma cell neoplasm the patient with multiple myeloma often present with constitutional symptoms such as fatigue, weight loss, bone pain, that is back pain and chest pain because the bones of the band and the chest are involved. Multiple myeloma is characterized by proliferation of the neoplastic cells in the bone marrow, bone destructions and hypercalcemia and also anemia. So here we can see hypercalcemia and hemoglobin was less 10.2 only. How much was that? Yeah, it's what 10.2 only. So he, she was having anemia too. The excessive productions of the single immunoglobulins that is monoclonal proteins Okay, there is excessive production of that. Okay, the later can accumulate, this, this protein can accumulate in higher levels in the serum and can deposit in the renal tubules too. So when it deposits in the renal tubule, it can lead to renal insufficiency, which further present as bland urine analysis where we see that in, uh, in urine dipsticks, we see the albumin, we don't see the immunoglobulins. We think like there might be immunoglobulins, but no, we don't see the immunoglobulins. Instead, they are glandular cast okay so yeah the monoclonal proteins can also damage the glomeruli because of amyloidosis monoclonal immunoglobulin deposition disease leads to the nephrotic syndromes all right since the glomeruli are destroyed it leads to the nephrotic syndrome so there can be protein loss in that which is known as benzone proteinuria in case of multiple myelomas now moving further acetaminophen toxicity may occur at high doses of, however, it typically affects the liver, hepatitis and joint disease and would not affect the patient's kidney or can lead to hypercalcemia or anemia. So this is not the case of acetaminophen toxicity. Diabetic nephropathy usually develops over an year and it is associated with albuminuria. But there was no protein in the dipstick right now. With normal laboratory studies four months ago and a bland urine analysis, this patient is unlikely to have a diabetic nephropathy. Primary hyperparathyroidism can cause the hypercalcemia. However, the patient are asymptomatic and are diagnosed after developing calcium nephrolithiasis. Whenever someone is having hyperparathyroidism conditions, there is excessive calcium and which leads to the deposition uh, in the kidney and it leads to the formation of calcium stone. Okay. This patient who has hypercalcemia associated with bone pain and anemia is more likely to have multiple myeloma. SLE has a glomerular injury, protein uh, resulting in proteinuria and hematuria often with an increased creatinine you see that there is glomerular damage 
which causes the protein urine hematuria and there is increased creatinine in case of SLE but urine analysis will present the lupus uh, will present like lupus nephritis okay now vitamin D toxicity occurs exceedingly at high doses which can lead to vomiting confusions polyuria and polydipsa such anemia and renal failure which features will not be there in case of uh, vitamin D toxicity so this was all about this question now moving on to the next question there is a 45 year old man who is coming to the office he has easy fatigability for the last few months he does not have any medical chronic medical issues he is vegetarian and has limited dairy consumptions and drinks alcohol only okay drink alcohol only i mean to say he drinks alcohol regularly like daily basis physical examination reveals there is a pallor and hemoglobin is 10.8 normal serum iron studies are there so it's not because of iron deficiency anemia he started on thiamine and folic acid one milligram daily after several months he reports recurrent faults and increasing forgetfulness so he was given with thiamine and uh, this folic acid and now he is reporting with forgetfulness and faults and all that okay which of the following is most likely finding at this point so there are various options but uh, according to me the answer should be loss of proprioceptions in the lower extremities because we thought that this patient might be having the uh, megaloblastic anemias or macrocytic anemias because of folic deficiency but no it was because of uh, vitamin b12 deficiency so uh, and since it is because of vitamin b12 deficiency it is presenting with the neurologic symptoms for due to which he is falling again and again frequently now chronic alcohol use is associated with folate deficiency due to limited dairy intake in addition vegetarians are at higher risk of developing vitamin b12 deficiencies particularly in dairy product consumption if limited okay and this patient was having the limited dairy product consumption vegans are also at high risk uh, but they do not consume any dairy product all right the patient who has vegetarian diet and uses alcohol daily is likely to have a combined folic acid and vitamin b12 deficiency deficiency of either can cause the megaloblastic anemia due to defective defect in dna synthesis however vitamin b12 deficiency causes neurologic symptoms including proprioception and vibratory senses loss in the lower extremities likely due to defect in myelin formation in the dorsal column tract other associated abnormalities includes the irreversible memory loss that is memory deficit and irritability and dementia response to folate and vitamin b12 repletion occurs in predictable manner with the resolution of anemias within one to two months therefore in patients with combined deficiency replenishing folic acids can partially correct hematologic abnormalities but is unlikely to improve the neurologic symptoms and could in fact leads to worsening of the symptoms and we don't know the reason for this if it is accompanied by vitamin b12 supplementation if it is not accompanied by vitamin b12 supplementation then this uh, uh neurologic symptoms appears as a result this patient who is receiving folic acid supplementation will still not still have the neurologic manifestation of vitamin b12 although the hematologic abnormalities are neutralized here or the patient will not have the hematologic abnormalities in this case because it is corrected with the help of folic acid but neurologic abnormalities will still be there yeah and there was some other options too so 
first co first one was the enlarging ventricles may be seen in case of hydro hydrocephalus in a normal pressure hydrocephalus or a bacterial meningitis but this case is not related to that because his body temperatures is normal next moving on to the another cause which is intranuclear ophthalmoplasia is a lesion of the medial longitudinal fasciculus in the dorsal medial brain stem that is segmentum of the pons in the midbrain pons of the midbrain okay it present with horizontal diplopia and is most commonly seen in multiple sclerosis and cerebrovascular disease but this was not a case of multiple sclerosis or cerebrovascular disease and there was no such finding of intranuclear ophthalmoplasia okay next is the fluorescent treponemal antibody absorption test which is confirmatory for syphilis late neurosyphilis will involve dorsal columns we know that it involves the tapes uh, uh, dorsalis the both the dorsal columns are involved and which can cause sensory ataxia in addition the patient will experience severe pain that may occurs affecting the limbs trunk face and cause the pupillary abnormality too like we know that in uh, tertiary syphilis there is argil robertson pupil but this time in this case there is no evidence of syphilis so we will not go for that i hope you're getting it now moving on to the next question which is yeah a 54 year old woman with a long history of hypertension she is having mild rheumatic mitral stenosis okay and uh, she comes to the emergency department and for severe skin changes and i just can't tell you how bad the skin changes got it was all black and there was a red margin around it yeah so there was severe skin changes she was recently diagnosed with atrial fibrillations and was initiated on warfarin therapy by her physician several days ago the patient's other medical uh, medications includes hydroxyzide and metoprolol on physical examination her temperature is normal and blood pressure is 130 by 80 pulses 80 and irregular since she was having atrial fibrillations okay and respiration is 16 per minute the skin changes are uh, shown as i already told you i can't tell you what type of skin changes are there on this audio but yes yeah, still uh cardiac examination reveals faint mid diastolic murmur the rest examination is unremarkable so which of the following is most likely primary cause of this clinical presentation okay so what i think will be pro, uh, this uh, lady might have protein c deficiency why are we thinking about uh, thinking this way because this patient's presentation suggests warfarin induced skin necrosis a condition that typically occurs within the first few days of warfarin therapy usually at a large loading dose warfarin inhibits the production of vitamin k dependent clotting factor 2719 it also inhibits the production of naturally occurring anticoagulant protein c and protein s this decreases protein c anticoagulant activity to 50% within the first day only okay and uh, within the first day while the level of the procoagulant that is factor 27910 decline more slowly okay but remember it's 2910 is again a quick factor okay protein c and proteins are again a quick factor like warfarin work on them really quickly okay uh, transient hypercoagulable state this increase the risk of the venous thromboembolism and the skin necrosis especially in the patient with underlying hereditary protein c deficiencies so this patient might have that protein c deficiency skin changes typically occurs on the extremity breast trunks and penis and uh, might uh, marginate over a period of hours if left untreated affected area become edematous purpuric ultimately it necros necrosed okay treatment involves immediate c immediate cessation of the warfarin and administration of protein c concentrate okay 
there was various other option also like one option was heparin in this thrombus uh, thrombocytopenia it is caused by antibody against the platelet factor 4 complex with heparin and is characterized by thrombocytopenia arterial and venous thrombosis would be there and uh, necrotic skin lesions would be there at the heparin injection site uh, within 5 to 10 days of the therapy this patient had no exposure of such uh, heparin products so this is not the answer next is the antithrombin 3 deficiency which is a vitamin k dependent inhibitor of the clotting cascade but antithrombin 3 deficiency predisposes to thrombus formation not the skin necrosis next is factor 5 latent mutation increases the risk of venous thromboembolism deep venous thrombosis and pulmonary embolism it also increases the risk of the cerebral and mesenteric and portal vein thrombosis these patients are treated with anticoagulant and initiation of warfarin should not cause unusual hypercoagulability unless and until the patient have the protein C deficiency. So this is not the answer. Next is the factor 7 deficiencies can lead to the bleeding diastasis, that is bruising and hemorrhages. Okay. And in contrast, this patient has skin necrosis. Okay. So because factor 7 is causing the bleeding, it will cause a bruise and hemorrhage. But this patient simply has a skin necrosis as a result of prothrombotic stage. Now moving on to the next question, which is, a 30-year-old white man comes to the emergency department with shortness of breath that begins in the morning only. Okay, the patient has no chest pain, fever and chills and medical history is also insignificant. He describes himself as healthy. He does not use tobacco or alcohol. The patient is physically active and has not traveled anywhere. There is no travel history. His father died because of heart attack at age 45 years. Okay. And his temperature is 97, blood pressure 110 by 80, pulse is 104, auscultation indicates normal vesicular breath sounds. Okay. And there is no heart murmurs. There is mild swelling of the low, right lower leg. ECG shows sinus tachycardia but is otherwise unmarkable. Uh, yeah. So prothrombin time in this patient is 13. Okay. So I have discussed this uh, normal lab values in the previous lectures. So prothrombin time normally is 11 to 15 so here in this question the prothrombin time is normal next is activated prothrombin time in this question is 30 and normal it is 25 to 40 so again this is normal and what we see d-dimer here in the question itself the normal value of d-dimer is given which is less than 500 nanogram per ml and he is having a d-dimer of more than like it's uh, 1200 milligram per ml okay so which of the following is most likely contributing to this patient's conditions? So we have to find out what is contributing to this patient's conditions. D-dimer are there and all this thing is there. Okay. So, okay. So the answer for this question was activated protein C resistance. Okay. So now let's talk about uh, the explanation for this question. So, yeah. Shortness of the breath, right leg swelling, and sinus tachycardia with elevated D-dimer are primary concern for pulmonary embolism and deep venous thrombosis. Since he was having deep venous thrombosis and pulmonary embolism, there was increase in the D-dimers. He was having sinus tachycardias and there was a right leg swelling and, she, and the patient had shortness of breath too. This patient is young and has no obvious risk factors. Like this patient has no immobility or recent travel history or trauma because when we see there is a long standing travel history or he has immobility, he is on the bed for longer days, then we think about DVT. But this time DVT is occurring, but there is no such risk factors. So why it is happening? So there is a hypercoagulable disorders, which you must consider now. Testing is required and uh, in... Uh, age less than 45 year patient with the first time unprovoked DVT and pulmonary embolism one must do testing 
or the patient with recurrent DVT and pulmonary embolism are also uh, recommended for testing and the patient with unusual site of thrombi such as cerebral or mesenteric or portal veins are also considered for testing. So we should test three types of people first who are having uh, DVT for the first time and there is no previous uh, history for that why it's happening and another ones are the patients with recurrent DVT and pulmonary embolism. Another ones are the patients with uh, DVT and pulmonary embolisms and the and but they are having recurrent uh, uh, deep venous thrombosis and pulmonary embolism and the last one are the patient with unusual sites of thrombi such as uh, cerebral or mesenteric and portal veins. The most commonly found uh, disorders is factor 5 laden mutations especially in Caucasian individuals that is 4 to 5 percent prevalence. Most per patients with factor 5 laden mutation is an autosomal dominant point mutation of the gene factor 5 that makes it unable to respond to the protein activated protein C and innate anticoagulant. This mutation leads to slow degradation of the protein uh, procoagulant act Activate active factor 5 leading to a continued thrombin formations and there is low degradation of the factor A2. Okay. Prothrombin time and activated partial thromboplastin timing can be normal as the major as the major procoagulant effects are due to continued thrombin formation. The elements of the coagulation cascade that can be assessed by these laboratory tests are less likely to be predominantly affected. Okay. Now, the patient who has inherited factor 5 gradient mutations are at increased risk of DVT and pulmonary embolism. So, whenever you see a case of pulmonary embolism and DVT and uh, you don't see any such finding of uh, long travel history or something, then you might think about the factor 5 gradient mutation, if, especially if the patient is a Caucasian population and the mutation is occurring uh, because uh, there is a uh, there is that autosomal dominant mutation of factor 5 which now is unable to respond to activated protein C like protein C is not responding to the factor 5 okay and also there is you see there is low degradation of factor A2 okay factor 5 absolutely doesn't degrade and the factor A2 degrade but a little bit slower okay now so yeah, what I was telling was the patient who has inherited factor 5 laden mutations are at increased risk of DVT and pulmonary embolism. Although not all expresses this phenotype, most are heterozygous and those who are homozygous are even at greater risk. Okay, now there are few other options such as antiphospholipid syndrome caused by venous and arterial thrombi. If you see a questions of venous and arterial thrombi, then you must think about the antiphospholipid syndrome. Generally, in this patients, the underlying conditions is lupus. So there might be an history of lupus associated. These patients usually have a prolonged activated pro partial thromboplastin time that fails to correct on a mixing study due to the presence of antiphospholipid antibody acting as an inhibitor okay since antiphospholipid activate the body is acting as an inhibitor so whenever someone is adding the prothrombin this antibody kills that activated uh, the additional prothrombin too so there is no improvement okay so uh, this patient usually have prolonged activated prothrombin time that fails to correct with mixing studies moving on to the antithrombin deficiency which is usually acquired in the setting of disseminated intravascular coagulation so one, one, one must remember that if the patient is having a dic then there might be antithrombin deficiency also it is associated with cirrhosis and nephrotic syndrome and this patient has no evidence of any of these conditions so uh, he might not have the antithrombin deficiency the patient with beta cell trait are generally asymptomatic and are not at increased risk of and pulmonary embolism 
Several studies have demonstrated that beta thalassemia trait offers some protections against the arterial thrombi, but due to lower blood viscosity from the microcystic anemia. Remember that, okay? It provides some uh, effect because uh, since the uh, RBCs are less and uh, the there is microcystic anemia, so RBC are small, so there is low viscosity. There is high, yeah, low viscosity of the blood, and uh, this way they are providing a little bit protections against the arterial thrombi next is increased prothrombin biosynthesis is seen in prothrombin gene mutation remember every time when you see a mutation there is decrease in the functions but this time there is increase in the function and autosomal dominant disorder that leads to that is the most that is i should say second most common cause of inherited thrombophilia while especially high prevalence in caucasian patient it is less common than factor 5 leading mutation uh, yeah so this is it Thank you so much for listening.